Hey, I'm Darrell Ellington. Welcome to Found, the show where we bring you the stories behind the startups. I'm here with the in-person karaoke to my asynchronous video meeting. Jordan Crook, in-person karaoke. Do they have non-in-person Of course they do. Virtual it's, the, karaoke? it's the virtual age. Of course. I bet it's like all over Twitch and stuff. We live in too. the metaverse. Jordan, get with the times. This is what they're talking about. I know. On Be Real. They're all on influencing about this on Be Real. <laughs> Kill me. So <laughs> that, believe me, this is all relevant to today's discussion, which you're going to love. Before we get to that, I want to tell our listeners about something very exciting happening, which is TechCrunch Disrupt. Yeah. Whoa! And the crowd goes wild. I thought you were going to do something like that, Jordan. You made a face that maybe you're going to do that, but you didn't. So I didn't even know what we were promoing, but now that I know I'm amped. Yeah, we're very amped. We put a lot of love into this, obviously, but we get even more love out of it, I'd say. And that's the most exciting part. So we want to see you there. You can get tickets to Disrupt still. And we have a special promo code. And the promo code is, wait for it, found. That's right. Whoa. It's the name of the show. And that'll get you 15% off passes. So that's excluding the online only and expo type passes. But every other pass, you'll get a 15% discount if you use promo code FOUND. So please go do that on TechCrunch. All right. But let's get to today's show. We're talking to Phil Libin from Mm-hmm, <laughs> which is, there's no noise at the end. Just It's just and You don't mm have to do noise. the inflection where you're like, Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it's, it's definitely like one of the best, the gift that keeps on giving names of startups. Like I, at first I was like, this is dumb. And now I'm like, I'm glad you named it this because we get to keep talking about I've it. I've gone for through several cycles of it where I'm like, oh, I wish you wouldn't have done that. And then I'm like, well, this is kind of cool. And then I'm like, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> well, I think it's making people pay attention, which is great. But Phil, obviously also previously founder of Evernote, which a lot of people are familiar with. Mm -hmm, though is a video communication app that is making working and collaborating virtually more effective through live and asynchronous video communication. And some of the things it can do is kind of like do picture in picture, like your newscaster for presentations. You can do all kinds of cool graphic effects and bring people in and make them little floating heads. It's great. There's all kinds of fun stuff to do. I don't even know the extent of it these days. They frequently update the product. But yeah, it was great talking to Phil. And we get really into remote work, hybrid work environments, how that all shakes out, his changing opinions on it, which I think reflect a lot of the world's changing opinions on it. So let's go ahead and hear from Phil. Hey, Phil, how's it going? Hey, how are you? Great, great. Welcome. Great to have you. You're a founder many times over. Well, we'll probably get into all of it, but we do want to talk about mm -hmm, especially today. And do you want to give us and our listeners a bit of a breakdown of what that is, just in case they haven't heard of it, though many of them probably have. Well, mm -hmm is an app for giving you communication superpowers. We're trying to make people and teams really, really good at distributed work. Nice. Yes. And that is a tall Tall order, actually. You make it sound simple, but it's probably not that easy. Me and Jordan have some experience. We haven't we haven't cracked it yet. Our employees are not great at remote work, nor are we. But you and know, we've, we've been, been doing, doing it for, it for like fifteen years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we should be better at it than we are. We were like, oh, pandemic, no problem. We got this. 
I feel like we're not great at it yet, but we're, you know, we're on our way. You mean you, your team, or you mean us as a, as a human society? society. A little bit of both. I think my <laughs> team may be a bit, a bit ahead of the rest of humanity, but all of us can, can still have a lot to figure out over the next decades. This is, this is kind of the movement of, of our lifetime, we think. I think this movement to distributed work and distributed society is the most profoundly important social change that I've ever lived through. So it's going to take a while to get it right. Yeah. So get into that a bit more about like, how much did it play into the origin of the business? Like I, I know, you know, it came out essentially right when we were in the throes of the pandemic, right? Like the it had just arrived and we were all kind of reeling. Can you talk a bit more about the formation of the company and how much that was influential, how much you had been thinking about this kind of stuff beforehand and, and anything like that? Well, I've been thinking about productivity in general for, for a long time. Right. Um, but I was very much against traditionally, you know, video, uh, remote work, working from home, all of that kind of stuff. In fact, uh, at Evernote, I, I banned most video participation in board meetings. You weren't allowed to dial in, you had to show up in person or, or, mm. or, or not come. I was very much like an in-person walking around you know, kind of guy, like we made a lot of important decisions just by me, you know, walking by someone's desk and saying, hey, let's go walk for a cup of coffee. And then when the pandemic started, you know, we all wound up being forced to work from home and it was, it was pretty terrible. And about two months into it, we were just goofing around. We were just trying to, you know, make ourselves laugh. And so we came up with this thing called mm -hmm, just to make our meetings a little bit less boring. And we never thought it'd be a real product. Uh, we thought it would just be a thing that we would experiment with internally for a week or two until we got sick of it. But it became pretty clear that this wasn't actually about the pandemic. This was about a, a new way of communicating that had a lot of potential. I want to talk more about this as a concept because I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And like, on the one hand, you what you're talking about with like being a walk around person and an in-person thing is a lot about like the body language and the little jokes and the like wink and the locking eyes across the room when someone says something silly. And like, that's the fun piece. Right. And like, you learn a lot about your coworkers from those interactions that allows you to have more difficult decision-making conversations. Yeah. I think, I think that's right. Mm -hmm does a really good job of replacing some of that, some of the like physical nuance with fun. Right. Because there's just cool shit to look at when you're talking to someone on them and there's like a lot of information too that you can get beyond just someone talking and like spitting it out but the trust piece i'm curious about that right like i had someone talk to me recently about bringing new hires into the office more regularly when they start versus long term like they mm. can once we've got trust built up once we get to know each other and like for those difficult decision-making conversations, what is the answer that mm -hmm has, right? Like, and I don't, I don't know if I even know the question I'm asking, but I'm just kind of like throwing <laughs> those thoughts at you and seeing what comes back at me. I think there's a really deep set of questions. There's kind of a lot packed in there. I think trust is the most important thing. In fact, I think that the coming divide in, in, in companies is not so much about uh, back to the office or, or, or distributed. It's not, that's not really the important thing. I think the real divide is high trust and low trust. I think there's going to be a lot of companies that revert back to, to low trust. That's kind of been the, the mm -hmm. conventional mode of, of companies dealing with employees. And I think a lot of this like butts and seats mentality, a lot of this like, well, how can we trust you if we can't see you? A lot of this pull to bring people back to the office, to have synchronous meetings really comes from people kind of falling back to what, what, what they think they know about how to build trust. And we're trying to be a, a, a high trust environment, which is different in a fully distributed world, different than it used to be. And we are very much trying to, to invent that. The best way that we've found to think about it is through this, uh, we have a, this uh, communication hierarchy. Basically, the, the idea is uh, 
you know, imagine uh, you know, this pyramid and you've got all the way at the top is live and in person. That's what we mostly used to do. And then you've got live video in the middle and then record the video. And so the idea is like when you're when you're actually live and in person, when you're like when you're at the top, this is really scarce. This is really expensive. It's hard to scale. It's very important. So whenever you're actually physically in the same room with other people, like it's 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 very precious. You got to make it count. You never want to spend two hours in the same room with a bunch of people and then have that be a waste of time. Have that feel like it was boring. It's like kind of a tragedy. You don't get any of your time back. So the in-person time is vitally important, but it's important to never have bad or boring or lame in-person experience. It's just, it's just way too expensive. So what we try to do is we say, okay, when you're going to get together in person, when you're at the, at the top of the pyramid, make it count. The rest of the time, you could be kind of in this middle layer, which is what, what we're doing right now, which is, which is live video, synchronous video. And that's really good for some things. In particular, it's good for having a back and forth discussion. How do you know whether something's a discussion? We have a thing that we call the face hole test, which is you, you look at a bunch of people talking. If one person is moving their mouth a lot, and no one else is for minutes at a time, that's not a discussion. That's a lecture. It's like some kind of an update. And 100% of those are actually better done in asynchronous or recorded video. Mm-hmm. So the idea is you, you, if you think about this pyramid, it's not so much that one area is better than the other. It's that each of the areas is great for something and bad for other things. And you should do the thing that each area is great for. So live and in person is great for having relationship building experiences, but it's actually quite bad for doing information sharing. Mm -hmm. Live video is great for having this, a discussion, a live discussion, but it's actually pretty bad for building relationships and it's pretty bad for explaining things. Recorded video is amazing for explaining things, but it's pretty bad for having interactive conversations. And so the, the idea of mm-hmm is do the thing that's best in each place and don't think of it as one thing being a trade-off of the other. Try to take a no compromises approach. And that works pretty well for us. So it sounds like you're saying like we're working really hard to figure out the second, uh, the bottom two thirds of this pyramid. And that top third, like choose when you use it and go use it. Like we can't do that on our video conferencing software, right? Yeah. A lot of people took the wrong lessons from COVID, from the pandemic. I think a lot of us think that uh, distributed work is the same as working from home. And it's not. Mm. Like working from home is what we're forced to do in the beginning with like no preparation, with very suboptimal environments, small apartments, screaming children. And that's because we were forced into it. Whenever you're forced into something, it tends not to be that good. That was more than two years ago. We've had a lot of time to figure this out. Uh, Distributed working is not remote working. It's not working from home. It's working synchronously and asynchronously the way that you're most productive from wherever you're most productive. Yeah. And using that as a tool along with meeting people in person for when that's most productive. So for example, I've got a couple of people coming over today and we're going to be at the top of the pyramid. We're going to have a nice dinner. We're going we're to talk about you know, really important things, really try to bond and, uh, and build up some trust. But we're not going to like sit in a room and show slides to each other. <laughs> right. We've had plenty of time to do that on video. You know, Gen Z's doing that though, Phil. Hmm? They're doing like PowerPoint parties. Have you seen this? What? I haven't seen this. Gen Z is doing PowerPoint parties <laughs> where they choose their topic and they all drink and get together and drink and they give like discussions of like ranking all of my ex boyfriends from dumbest to smartest or whatever. Or like why Game of Thrones is the best show. I so mean, I'm just, just saying. figuring out their blend. I can see. But that. you can, you can move up and down the pyramid. <laughs> Yeah. We don't know what the future is going to hold. Well, I think moving up and down the pyramid is actually the whole thing. Like that's that's what we're trying to do with the product with mm-hmm, is 
we give you an elegant way to do all three parts as, as appropriate and to kind of smoothly move between one and the other. I think the recorded video thing is like oh, that's, so That's what we key. need. That's so we clutch. Need, yeah, we need more of it. I mean, I wonder, I probably sound like a like an old school corporate suit for asking this question, but like, how do you know people actually watched your video if it was important well, high trust, information right Phil? You yeah believe i know you right exactly so it depends on how, how you set it up so what we do for example with board meetings board meetings are like a, a great example right so board meetings we used to do all crammed you know four-hour meetings all crammed live in a person it was a terrible experience for everyone Those people hate board meetings justifiably so now we have the best board meetings in the world and the way we do them is we, we use the pyramid all of the actual material we record ahead of time. I ask all of my execs to record their update, you know, five or 10 minutes in this style. You know, the person talking with their visuals, with their slides, because it's a great way to, to explain things. That's much better for the, for the people presenting because it's much lower, lower stress. They don't have to worry about screwing it up. They can record it until they get it right. They can use visuals. They can be funny about it. They can do whatever they want. And of course, it's a much better experience for the board members because they can watch it when they can really pay attention, not all at the same time. And they can watch it faster than 1x. No one ever watches it at 1x. You watch it at 1.5 you know, right. or 2.0. It's actually easier to understand that way, especially if you've got backing visuals. And they don't have to bother taking notes. They don't have to worry about missing anything. They can rewind it and all that stuff. So, all, so everything is sent out ahead of time. And the way that we deploy it, the way that we have it set up is everyone can see who's seen it and who hasn't. So it's, it's symmetrical. It's shared. So every board member can see which board members have watched it. And therefore, everyone watches it right away because no one wants to be the last person right. uh, to see it. So there is that that shared accountability. Interesting. And then, you know, once a quarter, we get together in the second layer in live uh, video. But there, we're, we're sitting around basically a, a, a screen. Um, we're not like in individual Zoom boxes. We're all kind of sitting in a common area. And we pull up the presentations one at a time. But we don't repeat them because they've already seen them. And then I just teleport mm -hmm. in each exec one at a time. So when it's our product update, we pull up the product slides and then I pop in, you know, Seth, our head of product, our head of uh, CTO. And he doesn't do the presentation. People have already seen the presentation. It's entirely Q&A. And so anyone watching it can like change slides and say, oh, hey, on, on slide 17, you said this. What about that? He does that for a few minutes, then he leaves. And the next person comes on. And so we have about a 90-minute Instead of four hours, it takes about 90 minutes and it's pure interactive. It's pure Q&A yeah. and it's amazingly good, much more efficient, much less stress. And then, you know, a couple of times a year, we get together in person as a board to build relationships. But when we do that, we are not sitting in a room showing slides to each other. We're out to dinner. We're having experiences that, that, that connect us, that bond us uh, as a team. That's great for brainstorming. It's great for sparking creativity. It's great for sparking trust. We do that twice a year. And the rest of it we do at other points in the pyramid. I love the the idea of just taking the like the concept of read receipts and essentially making that a part of the the structure there, right? Like that works really well to great effect in already existing social dynamics, right? Like we use that all the time exactly. with our messaging platforms, yeah. right? This the high trust is like that's that's very important to figure out. And uh, yeah. um, you know, there was this article in the New York Times um, a few weeks ago, right, about like the rise of like workplace surveillance. Where you know low trust companies, you know it's a low trust environment when you hear them use words like "we allow our workers to work from home," you know, certain times <laughs> a week. Like "allow," "allow" is a weird concept. I don't allow our employees to do anything. It's all at will. They don't. They don't yeah. need my permission. I trust them to do the right thing. We try to have the right, the right kind of uh, concept. But 
I think Jason Lemkin tweeted something a few weeks ago that really kind of caught my attention. He said the real reason a lot of companies, a lot of managers are, are pushing to have people back at work is uh, they realize that they're A players. Their most productive employees have been super productive being fully distributed, but the B and the C players are really struggling. And that, that sounds really true. And so the question is like, what do you do about that? How do you maintain a high trust environment when you can't see people all the time? And the, the, the right. truth is we were never that good at maintaining it even when we were physically with people. It's not like people don't know how to look busy at the office. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You just have to be much more Tale intentional. time. Yeah, exactly. But it's different. It's, we learned it in school. And so we've gone from doing things half-assed and then when the pandemic started, we went from half-assed to nothing, and now we're having to rebuild. But I think if we're intentional about it, we can do we can get to a lot better than what it used to be. We can actually get to good systems. The concept too, Phil, of like fun can't be underrated. Like with my previous question, it almost made it sound like it was a distraction from the trust issue. But I think they're two separate things because when we think about what happened with the pandemic and over the last few years, I mean. There's a lot of misery out there, you know, like mm. there's a lot that is really easy to distract you from work just because everything is seems to be going badly most of the time, you know, <laughs> I don't know any other way to put it. <laughs> and just when I'm, when you have to go to a Zoom meeting or whatever, and there's just something that makes you laugh, you know, a GIF or something, something fun or silly, it matters a lot, right? Like it counts for a lot more than the cost or value of the meme itself, you know? Yeah, I think that's right. We, we, we've been thinking about it as, a, as the relationship economy. And basically kind of like this, there's there's certain interactions that, that build relationship capital. You feel like you know someone better, you trust them more, you build relationship capital. A lot of in-person stuff is like that, but not exclusively. And then there's other interactions that spend relationship capital. So exactly what you just said. So maybe we, you know, we go to dinner, we, we get to know each other, we build up some trust. And then I send you some Slack messages and some emails. The, the, the emails aren't building any relationship capital, but maybe you're more likely to respond to them if you kind of have a, already an, ex, an existing relationship. And what we're really trying to do is say, you don't, it doesn't have to be the case that it, digital communication is a, is a drain of relationship capital. We, mm. You can build something exactly as you said, by making it fun, by having a, a more of a personality uh, to show that, that you can build relationship capital uh, even digitally. And that was actually the first thing that we we, we launched with. We launched our philosophy was, was this work called Fuseful, combination of fun and useful, which we stole from uh, Bistone. Bistone was one of our one of our angel mm -hmm. investors, and he said in the early days of Twitter, this was the test they had. They said things have to be both fun and useful. So they would say, if you're going to think about a feature, is it fun and useful? Is it useful? And if it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. And so we 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 have very much the same philosophy. It's we are very rigorous about building a product that lets you have some fun in the communication and lets you show your personality because I think for virtually every type of communication, 99.9%, .9%, a little bit of fun and, and and showing your personality makes it more effective communication. Yeah, you can see that. Like it comes really apparent when you kind of look at your history and you look at the progress of the app over time. And then you compare that to something like uh, just for example, since we've been talking about a lot, Zoom, I know you you integrate with them, so it's not really directly comparable, but like if you look at their history and their product roadmap, they're obviously not following the the fuseful uh, principle, right? So you can see that it's very intentional in what you've developed and what you've kind of put out there into the world as you've been uh, iterating on the product, right? Yeah, I think Zoom is, is, is done great. I'm very happy that Zoom was around. I think that... I think had Zoom not been around during COVID, we, a lot of us would have had a much worse time. Yeah. So they were like, you know, thank God for Zoom. 
I do think that what they started with is, is, is kind of a very typical thing, which is they're trying to recreate the, the, you know, the old reality using the new tools, and which happens a lot, right? Like if you imagine, um, I don't know, think about like when the movie camera, when the film camera was first invented, and, you know, the first films, like people didn't know about, they had movie cameras, but they didn't, they didn't have cinema yet. They, all, all they knew was actors on the stage. And so a lot of the first films are like just, you know, actors on the stage. Yeah. And it wasn't very good. Uh, and I'm sure there was like a lot of theater critics in, you know, 1908 that said, ah, this newfangled cinema is like a very poor substitute for theaters and it'll never replace theaters. You have to get people back into theaters. And and they were right because cinema hadn't been invented. It took it took another couple of decades to invent like editing and close-up shots and two, you know, multiple camera angles. And then cinema wasn't a replacement for theater. Theater is still with us, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. movies became 10,000 times more common. But this happens all the time, right? The incumbent players, whenever there's a big change, they try to recreate the old reality. So, you know, more in my time, you know, for Evernote, big change all of a sudden in, you know, 2007, 2008 was a lot of us had smartphones, but no one really knew what smartphone software is like. And so the incumbent players, you know, Microsoft basically said, well, um, you know, we're not sure what smartphones or software is going to be like, but we know what PC software is like. PC software is, you know, Microsoft PowerPoint. And, uh, you know, a smartphone is just a small PC that you carry in your pocket. Literally, right? Remember, Microsoft's smartphone platform was called Pocket PC. That's yeah. morphic. And so smartphone software is going to be shrunken down versions of PC software. And therefore, all the early smartphone software sucked because it was just shrunken down versions of you know Microsoft Word and, and things like that. Right. I would argue you don't have to this, but I would argue they're still there. Like basically you have a, you have the Microsoft suite of apps on the phone, and it's like, oh good, I guess I can access these things if I need to on the road, but it's not like I'm pulling that out to do anything. They're getting a lot better, but it's tough for the incumbent yeah. companies to do this. It took the native generation of companies, it took, you know. Evernote and Dropbox and Uber and Airbnb to say, wait, actually smartphone experience is going to be nothing like PC software. It's a new thing. Mm -hmm. And it didn't replace PC software. I still have a PC well a Mac, but you know, I, I use my mobile phone 10,000 times more and exactly the same things happening, you know, happened when everyone had to be on video was that skeuomorphic thinking. So the incumbent player said, well, okay, what do we know? What's the old reality that we're trying to reproduce? They said, well, the old reality is meetings. And what's a meeting? Well, a meeting is a bunch of tired people. Uh, they don't really want to be there in a boring room talking about something boring for an hour. But they can't all be in the same room because of COVID. So how do we get as close as possible to a bunch of tired, boring people talking about something boring in an unattractive setting, but on a computer? And you had, you know, the first generation of video conferencing software. It makes sense. But obviously, that's not what video is. That's not what it can be. But it's going to take like the next generation of startups the current generation, us and other people, to to invent that. Uh, but I think Zoom and everyone else is starting to embrace this very quickly. So I expect it to be a pretty active field. So I want to pull Jordan and just veer way off. I'm curious, Phil, about like how you think about the metaverse and the next few years. Because mm. it feels a little bit like mm-hmm is saying like, okay, screw the incumbent, right? Like screw the way that we think about how this should be and what could it be what's possible and obviously there's lots of talk about you know we've heard forever vr is in two to five years we swear you know for like the last 10 years and it doesn't feel like it's really there but now we see what facebook is up to and everything that's going on with crypto and web3 and it just feels like maybe something's on the horizon 
on that front and i'm just well, curious even stuff like roblox right is like actually you know it's just very engaging for users and there's well and like there's a bunch of gaming stuff right yeah, like even yeah. if you look at fortnite you could argue that there's like some you know element of that happening so i'm just curious what your take on all of that is and like your thoughts and feelings and if at all and if so how you're kind of preparing mm -hmm, or your company to think about that the Mark Zuckerberg vision of the metaverse is so stupid. It kind of makes me sad. <laughs> like it makes me sad how, how aggressively I mean, dumb I agree. it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. the, like Facebook has become so utterly unimpressive. And it's basically because of this metaverse nonsense where they've taken uncreative ancient ideas directly out of dystopian sci-fi, didn't even bother to realize that they're dystopian. Therefore, not right. a thing to jump into recreating and then started building it. And it's just, it's just crap. It's just tedious. Now, I, Jordan, you, you, you said a lot of stuff that, that is often lumped into the metaverse because, you know, when something is so poorly defined, it's easy to lump stuff into it that I think has right. quite a bit of potential mm -hmm. in, in reality. Like, yeah, if, you know, if Minecraft is a metaverse, then this is my metaverse is smashing success. You know, Minecraft's been around for whatever, 15 years, but same with Roblox, same with Fortnite. I mean, I would say those are games. And, you know, I'm mm -hmm. a big game player. I love games. The vast majority of those aren't played in VR just because it's not that much fun. When I talk about metaverse, I think that my end state or whatever, my fully defined state of the metaverse is when those things are unified somewhere. Yeah. I, I don't like whatever they might be. You go and spend time you in go a and, virtual environment is the thing? Yeah, or, or no? AR environment or whatever. I mean, I think okay. you could argue that like Web3 and crypto don't necessarily force you to use VR for those things. But the idea no. that I can take one thing from this platform and put it on this platform or use it on this platform or sell it and buy something new on another, you Common know, like some sort of- across multiple yeah. virtual platforms yeah maybe i mean I'm, it's, it's all rough drafting I mean, as we go it, right it's now. like everybody is in this miasma now but yeah. right hey, i'm definitely not doing any meetings in, in vr universe <laughs> let's start with because i can't drink coffee in it because you know because because i can't do <laughs> okay. this without it hitting my, my headset and i'm not willing to give chipotle just released a burrito in roblox you can eat a virtual burrito in roblox but you obviously can't eat it in real life. all right Somebody else, this is an idea. Uh, anyone who wants to work on this in your audience, you know, get in touch. I'll sign over the AP rights. The killer idea for, for, for business use of the metaverse is someone needs to make an adult sippy cup so that I can drink coffee while wearing a giant stupid thing strapped to my face. <laughs> but it, it can't just be a sippy cup, right? Because then you'll burn yourself. So you need to have some sort of like a very advanced, you know, cooling system or something. But wait, for real though, Phil, you said, you, do you really mean it? You would never take meetings in the metaverse if you could take what mm -hmm does for meetings and 10,000 times them, as you would say, like if we could do it while surfing a wave or I don't know, whatever, like, but making it cool and fun. I mean, you're, you just said like, if you can engage someone in what you're saying, that they're much more likely to listen. Let's say I won't do it in VR. Again, metaverse is, is, mm -hmm. is a strange concept. It's a little bit hard yeah, to okay. define. I won't do it with won't VR. Do it in VR. I won't do it wearing a thing strapped to my face, looking at 3D legless avatars of my coworkers, and not actually being able to see the real world. Like I'm, I'm, I'm right now. I'm looking at my monitor to see you guys, and it's, mm -hmm. it's great. But right behind my monitor, I'm looking at my actual window, and I have a really beautiful view. It's nice. It's sunny out. I'm seeing the real world. I don't want to be cut off from the real world. I think that the, the VR vision of the metaverse is really like meant by people who have made their actual real world fairly dystopian and unpleasant. And it's kind of a way to escape. Yeah. 
I would rather make like the actual real world that I physically live in as nice as possible and give people the ability to, to do that. Now, I know there's there's augmented reality, and I think augmented reality has quite a lot of promise. It's just not here yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I the day that I can get a pair of, you know, a headset that's basically not much bigger than my current glasses, that I can still see things for real, uh, not through a screen, for real, and then have information superimposed on it, yeah, we'll be building apps on it. I don't know if there'll be like communication apps or you know productivity or whatever, but augmented reality, something that augments the existing universe, is a lot of a lot of potential, a lot of promise. Yeah. I don't believe in a mostly VR, mostly skeuomorphic, mostly immersive, you know, mostly based on interchangeable, persistent economies world where I live and play in and work in. I just don't think that's a good experience. I don't think it can be. And I think, again, it's an idea that's lifted directly out of really non-creative dystopian sci-fi. Sci and it's dystopian yeah, for a right. reason. And the people at Facebook, you know, they probably only read 10 pages into it. And they're like, oh, cool. They didn't read like the rest of it that says, yeah, and this is the horrible places that it leads. Luckily, I'm not afraid of it because no one wants it. It's just stupid. So nothing's going to happen. That's right. Other technology that's incorporated in there, I think has a huge amount of promise. For example, when we're having meetings... When we are doing synchronous stuff, it, it kind of looks like this. We're sitting around a common environment. We could be manipulating objects directly. So we could be showing documents and screen sharing and different. Everyone could be moving things around. We have you know video games that we can play together. It very much is about exactly as you said, having fun, being expressive in your communications. But like it isn't about you know wearing a sweaty thing strapped to your face uh, in VR. I agree with you fully. When I'm in my like, I need to be a doubter and I need to live on the other side and see what people are thinking about. Like I try to occupy the space of, oh, this is a generational problem, and you're you find all those things distasteful because of the generational gap between you and I don't know Gen Z or whatever. I, I am old. It's true. No, well, I, I'm speaking for myself, but Daryl's older than yeah. you. I'm 75 years old. No, but <laughs> but. Uh, but the more I think about it, I, I can't, I don't agree with that assumption. Like I find that a, an argument that is unconvincing because all of those things are essentially like, they just remain true and they remain true in like an essentially human context. I don't think they remain true in a way that is defined by age, right? Like those things are unpleasant, unwieldy. They just are like, nobody wants that. Nobody goes around and says like, I'm Gen Z. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick up this 70 pound bag of wood and strap it to my back for fun. Like those th are not things that people change because it's in fashion, right? Like it's like that just remains. Yeah, but like it's only a matter of time before the VR headsets get better well, this is Phil's other weight, point, right? which I agree with, is like the, once it becomes an AR thing that is like, this is no different than the inconvenience of these things that I have to put on to correct my vision. Like I'm a-okay with that, right? But and like, that's going to be great. Well, yeah. And I think everyone agrees on AR. Like, I think it would be hard to come by someone who's like, oh, I think that's a terrible idea that instead mm -hmm. of looking down at my phone, I have it in my field of vision like that. I, you know, maybe there are a few detractors, whatever, but I think that's an easy one. I think the VR one is more difficult because like, while I agree that I don't really want to have a conference meeting in VR either, I also think about like, what comes to mind so much is like education and the magic school bus for some reason. Like the idea that like a kid could be in a classroom and instead of being in their stupid classroom, they could be actually sure. seeing and learning and like in the human body or whatever in outer space, learning about some of that stuff feels like it would be so impactful, like so impactful. And I don't know that that is accomplished via AR. And I think, 
yeah, business, nobody wants to like go and pretend to be <laughs> at their desk or whatever, no matter how cool you make it look, like it doesn't change the fact that we're working. But I think there's like more. <laughs> it's hilarious more... that that was the line that they said, like when they recently did their meta work stuff, they were like, oh, we figured out like people just want to be like in recognizable meeting settings, like in VR. I was so, like, what? Do you think what? you cracked it now? Like, no. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think um, I agree that there's a time and a place for fully immersive VR experiences. I've got a closet behind me that if I were to open right now, I would be in danger of being crushed to death by like the avalanche of unused VR headsets because they buy every single one that comes out <laughs> for, for the past 20 years, literally 20 years or more because there's, there's been VR headsets for a long time. Going back to the 80s, I used to ride around the subway in, in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts with crap strapped onto my face because it's kind of cool guy I was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and every time I buy a VR headset, I have the same experience. I strap it onto my face and I play around with it. And I'm like, oh my God, this is so cool. It's so immersive. It's so cool. It's the oh wow factor. And that lasts for, you know, 40 minutes to two days. Uh, and then after that, I, I, I still have it out by my TV just so that I can make my friends who, who come over uh, wear it so that I could like right. yeah. get video of them <laughs> playing it because everyone, everyone looks hilariously <laughs> stupid doing it. And that, that phase yes. lasts for two weeks. And then everyone's kind of tired of it and goes into the closet. And then a year later, I get the next thing. That's been the universal experience with VR. And there are some fun games with it. Yeah, exactly. I've got, I've got wow. all of them. For audio listeners, I held up a mannequin head with a VR headset on. And that's, that's my use of VR. There's fun experiences. You know, usually for 20 minutes at a time, 40 minutes at a time, I play a lot of video games and the 99% of 99.99% of them aren't in VR, they're on screen, which is true of almost all games. Like the reason that people aren't playing Fortnite in VR is not because they can't, it's because it's not as fun. The reason that most movies aren't 3D movies is not because we haven't had 3D movies since the 50s. We have with, you know, red, green glasses. It's because for the vast majority of, of movies, it doesn't actually help. It doesn't make it more immersive. It doesn't make it more entertaining. Actually, more immersive does not mean more entertaining. Yeah. Very often, more immersive is less entertaining. So I think, yeah, I think you're right. There's totally going to be experiences for education and for fun where full immersion in 3D is going to be a cool thing. I very much doubt that that's ever going to be more than 20 minutes here or there, an hour here and there. I could be wrong, in which case, great. I'd, I'd actually love to be wrong about this because then it means that there's cool, immersive experiences that I can't, that I just haven't imagined. Mm -hmm. But I kind of doubt it. And 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 usually when I when I have friends of mine who are, who are much more bullish about this, the the, the challenge that, that that I have with them, the kind of thought experience is, okay, let's let's make a bet. How many minutes a day, you know, are, is the average person spend on their phone right now? And I don't know offhand, but that that data is out there is probably eight hours, something like that, something ridiculous, yeah, right? Yeah, it's a big chunk, six to ten or something like great. that. Great. Let's say two years from now or three years from now, pick a, pick a, like a timing for startups that are like, you know, not immediate, but not like forever away. Let's just say three years, three years from now, what is the average amount of minutes per day that the average person is going to spend in fully immersive VR mm. average right now? It's like seconds average because right. the vast majority of people do it. Is it going to be 10 minutes? I don't think so. No, I don't think that three years from now, you're going to get 10 minutes a day. Whereas, you know, on a screen, you're already at eight or nine hours. I don't think you're going to get 10 minutes in three years. I could be wrong, but I would love for people who are really bullish about this to just tell me how many minutes a day on average. What is your bulk? Yeah, do you yeah. think it's going to happen? And, and is that enough? And for the metaverse, for the meta company, metaverse vision to be true, they're not talking about 10 minutes a day. They're talking about, you know, more time than staring at a phone, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day. And A, if that comes to be true, I think that is horrible. 
luckily, there's no way it's ever possibly going to be true. So I don't really mm -hmm. I agree with you. What I'm maybe more interested in your near term would be like changes to video communication. Do you, how do you think about that? Like, cause we're in a pretty, it seems a stable state to some degree that like what we're doing right now is kind of going to be the de facto, but there's a lot of other things like mobile phones constantly better at video can do a lot of neat things these days. Apple showed off like, Oh, you can use your phone as your webcam wherever you are. Or there's Insta360 just came out with a great little tracker webcam. So what do you think about that? At, and do you kind of like develop for that? And in near term, do you see any big innovations there? Yeah, I, mean, I think video is, is is nowhere near. Like we're we're tip of the iceberg in terms of what you'll be able to do. You know, I think things like TikTok are showing how imaginatively innovative just just short form content could be, mostly for you know for entertainment. Like I, most of us didn't see that coming, and that wasn't anything particularly like there wasn't like any giant new invention. It was just right. a whole bunch of use cases that were just like made better and better and smoother and smoother, and then it enabled this entire thing where, you know, it literally forced Facebook to change their name and you know massively try to pivot because they think they realized yeah. that between Apple shutting off how much you can spy on people on phones and and you know TikTok owning short form video that they had to do something else, and so maybe it's this new thing, strapping stuff onto your face. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think there's a ton of stuff. I think the main thing that that, that I'm focused on is the shift between synchronous and asynchronous. Mm. The real question about meetings is not, should you have this meeting in person or should you have the meeting on video? The real question is, how do you cancel this meeting? Yeah. The best thing to do with meetings is to cancel as, as, as many of them as possible. Absolutely. Bad meetings on video aren't the answer. The answer is no bad meetings. Therefore, very few total meetings because most meetings are bad. So it's shifting as much of your explanation, as much of the, the, the information transfer to asynchronous and that actually really lets people work in a much more humane way because not everyone has to digest information at the same time and at the same speed as everybody else. Breaking this tyranny of synchronous time, breaking that the, the low trust expectation that you demand that people work at the same exact time as each other is I think a more fundamental thing than what place they're in, whether they're in person or on video. I actually think synchronous and asynchronous is a bigger shift and any team that can move, you know, 20%, 50% of their work from synchronous to asynchronous, I think we'll see a massive productivity gain, Yeah, which unlocks all sorts of really profound changes in the world that, that I'm very interested in. So th that's where I'm really focused on is the synchronous to asynchronous on video. But there's a bunch of other stuff that I think is, is very cool. I think you're spot on there. That's super insightful. Because we do, when you were talking about the pyramid and, you know, it, it was easy to see analogs and kind of how TechCrunch works. Like we have our disrupt events and those are our high trust in-person things. And they're very much like mm -hmm. that. Like we don't really get uh, down and dirty with work stuff. We go and have karaoke, you know, for the whole night and the whole team gets to know each other. And then we do the, the, our meetings are all, you know, video, but we really don't have the async ingredient down. And it's something that has, it's obviously been a huge blocker for us when you look back at it, because we have an international team with uh, European and Asian writers and, you know, they're all over the place. And a big part of their dissatisfaction uh, uh, is, oh, I don't feel included in this thing because it's async, right? Or so I can't make it at that time and whatever. So it's politically very difficult. And it's also, we have all these meetings where it's essentially... How, how how much should I blow him up? <laughs> it's Let's blow Matthew. the whole thing up. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> talking I mean, the whole time, and then the rest of us are just uh, you know online eating some nuts or whatever we're doing. Well, that's, that's <laughs> the and I feel like the other piece too is the like the the whole point of being like live on video is that you can have a discussion, right? So like 
the Q&A part, when we force everyone to come on and listen for 40 minutes, one means that they like whatever questions they have feel completely suffocated. And two, because of the time difference thing with an international team, you're not really meeting everyone where they want to be, right? Like some mm -hmm. for some people, like they're about to sit down for dinner with their family and they're like, I don't it's not an important enough question, right? And it might right. be for the team, like it actually might be, but they have to weigh their priorities and be like, I don't want to be on here for another five minutes. Yeah, it, it, it really, it comes down to us. It's 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 what we call the face hole test. It's one person is moving their face hole a lot and everyone else is sitting there quietly. It shouldn't be a live conversation. It shouldn't be synchronous. Yeah. This is a lecture. It should be the way that your audience is experiencing this right now, which is not live. Right, they're experiencing this right. pre-recorded. We're experiencing it live because we're having it back and forth, which is what live video is good for. But they're not experiencing it live; they're experiencing recorded. And I would say it's a better experience, and and we have yeah. to break that expectation that live is better. It's better for some things; it's much worse for other things. For example, big Star Wars fan, love Star Wars, have my entire life. I kind of like the fact that Star Wars is asynchronous recorded video. I kind of like that. I prefer <laughs> watching Star Wars movies that have been nicely edited and made in a movie theater than I think I would prefer like the live, you know, Star Wars theatrical production, watching like actors in the stack. Now I would go see that too. I was going to say, you don't want this. What if no it more. was in VR though? <laughs> yeah. What if it was live the whole story chronologically, but you were immersed? I was immersed in it. Exactly. And I had to constantly keep like looking around to see where it would be. Yeah, like, you, do. Missing right. everything. Yeah. you have to put some effort in Phil. Like, Damn. And we know this for other parts in our life, right? We know for other parts in our life that recorded video is superior to other form for certain types of storytelling. And yet at work, we kind of think that, no, 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 no. Let's get everyone together and let's have one person talking and everyone else listening and let's let's do it at 1x, which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Imagine if you were reading a book or you're reading email and you were forced to read it at the same speed as the author wrote it. You're like, that's weird. Like, how would that even work? You have no idea what speed the author wrote it. You're reading it at the speed that's best for you, which isn't at all the speed that's best for me. But somehow when I'm like explaining something with slides, you all have to digest it at the same speed, which happens to be the speed that the, that is coming out of my, my mouth. That's weird. Yeah. Once you kind of apply what we already know about movies to other areas of life, it just makes a lot more sense. It took a dramatic change in the way that we already work to get that learning because I guess video just wasn't an element. Although we, it's kind of a remembrance of some things that already existed, right? Because we used to have things that were training videos. We still have that stuff, right? We, we are, we're fine with it in certain contexts. We're fine with it in the context of like, here's this thing that we all need to go through and see when we come on and orientate to this company, but we're not fine with it for like a regular standard update. I think there's three main lessons that so far we've learned by, by managing a few companies uh, fully distributed. And, and, and I think I think the philosophy is more important than the particular product. I think you can accomplish this with whatever technology stack you're assembled. We, we try to make a product that, that's great for this, but, but I think the mm -hmm. philosophy is honestly more important. The first lesson is that it's your job to be entertaining in your communication. Mm. It just is mm -hmm. everyone's job. Like if you're talking, it's your job not to be boring people. And we, I feel like we kind of knew this in person, but we, we forgot about it when it's on video and all of a sudden like people just like, you're just not even trying. I think like realizing that if you're gonna say anything, it's your job to keep the audience's attention. It's your job to be entertaining. You don't have to be high, high budget. You just have to be expressive. Mm -hmm. That philosophy is important. So we're trying to make tools that make it easy to be expressive and entertaining, but 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 it's the philosophy that matters. Like PowerPoint, I think, kind of broke this. Like PowerPoint taught everyone that it was totally okay to just be monotonous, to like drone yeah. on in bullet points. Who cares about your audience? The point of empathy of PowerPoint is on the presenter. 
PowerPoint is about making it easy to make lazy, poor quality communication. The point of empathy in any communication should always be in the audience because there's more of them than there are of you. Mm-hmm. So it's first lesson is it's your job to be entertaining. Just take it seriously. And once you do it, a lot of stuff is simple. The second big lesson for me was that it's the pyramid. It's basically that video and in-person are not substitutes for each other. One is not worse than the other. They're not trade-offs. In-person, live video, and recorded video are three separate things. They're like co-equal partners. You should do what's best in each one, in each one. Hmm. It's not that, well, I'd rather be in-person, but I can, so I'm going to be in video. No, if you'd rather be in-person, be in-person. But for the things that are better on recorded video, record a video. And for the things that are better in live video, take a live video. And then I think the third biggest lesson is for creative people, for, 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 you know, for people who work on laptops, for, for you know, knowledge workers, it's this idea that we call the out-of-office loop, which is that improving quality of life improves quality of work. Mm, mm-hmm. And improving quality of work improves quality of life. And you take creative people, which is most of us, and you, 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 you let us improve the quality of our lives, live in a nice place, not waste three hours a day in traffic, have time to spend with our family and our friends, and have time for art and music and health, improves the quality of their work. And when you improve the quality of work, that leads to more satisfaction and more money, which you can then invest to improving quality of life. And so you get this like virtuous cycle, right? Improving quality of life, improves quality of work, improves quality of life, improves quality of work. And this is the essence of that high trust environment that we're trying to build. Let people improve their quality of life. Trust that that improves the quality of work. Trust that that is a feedback cycle. Once you get this flywheel going, get to really high productivity and really good life for a lot of people, then you can go a long way. Yeah, that's great. I mean... I do want to ask just one last question. We only have a couple more minutes here, but I'm so curious, how have you changed as a founder? How have you approached this a bit differently versus when you were starting out Evernote? Is it just night and day or is there a lot of in common there or how's it been for you? I think my outlook is 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 pretty consistent. I think the tactics that I use are night and day different. Mm. And I, I think the outlook, the best articulation of it was from my, my co-founder at, at, at All Turtles, Jessica, who said... Uh, strong opinions loosely held. Mm-hmm. So we, we try to be very clear. We try to have very strong opinions about how we do things, but we're not attached to them. And when, some, when we realize that we've been doing it wrong or there's a better way to do it, we change it. And then we're just very clear that, that we've changed it. And so at Evernote, I had a very strong opinion that mixing in-person video was bad and you know, it was just a, a, a suboptimal experience. And I spent a ton of money at Evernote building that, that, that office. Finally, I think six years after I left, they just closed it down. Really try to make it nice. And then... Spent a lot of money on that very expensive office. And then we spent a lot of money on very fancy buses, bringing people mm-hmm. to that office. And, and also like we got people electric cars and all sorts of stuff. And then this was the part that I was proudest of because I thought I was a, an innovative CEO. We got everybody really nice, expensive headphones so that they could mm-hmm. wear them to ignore the rest of the people that we had also <laughs> busted into this very fancy office because they're all just sitting in their room trying to get their work done. And I, for some reason, I thought this was a good idea. Of course, you spend a lot of time on, on, on the physical location. Of course, you ask people to, to spend three hours on average every day sitting in traffic, and then you give them ways to ignore everyone else that also you forced to spend three hours a day sitting in traffic. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with me? Now I realize that that was idiotic. And of course, I'm never again in my life going to ask an engineer or a lawyer or a marketer to like waste three hours every day sitting in traffic. That's that's an abomination. But the philosophy of, okay, let's take this seriously and figure it out and just kind of try not to get stuck in, in thinking just because that's the way that we've been doing it. I think that's been, that's been fairly consistent, but it, it took me to a pretty different place now. Great. Well, thanks very much. It's been great talking to you. And I know that, I mean, 
I think me and Jordan are going to go implement some stuff right now. We are, we're going <laughs> to... Some async videos on the way. Tech yeah. crunchers. If you're channel, all TC. Guess what? We're doing things differently, assholes. <laughs> Blame Phil. You can find him. Uh, anyway, thanks, Phil. Appreciate Thank it. you for the opportunity and uh, happy to help you guys you know, figure out uh, how to implement any of the stuff that you want. Uh, it's We're all trying to figure it out. All right, Jordan, that was our conversation with Phil. What do you think about the future of work? And also, mm -hmm. is that is that good? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> no matter how you say it, it sounds a little weird. But I think that Phil is a brave man for admitting his faults and saying, oh, I spent all this money on Evernote and taking people to the office and having the office and the bus to the office and the headphones to the office and all of these things. And it makes much more sense to work remotely. I thought he made really great points about form following function in mm -hmm. terms of like what should be live in person, what should be live on video, what should be async video. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a story out recently on the New York Times that said like a bunch of companies that participated in a four-day work week were doing great and like had no uh -huh. loss in productivity. Let's take that extra day. Is that what you're talking about? I'm not really connecting the two right now, but I'm I do saying agree that, like, that we should have a four-day <laughs> He basically was talking about how you give your team goals, you give them something to care about, you make them care about the work that they're doing and you right. trust in them and like it gets done. And like yeah. the other stuff is just exactly that. It's just like other stuff. You know what I mean? So if you're like using tools to engage, make sure they're like listening to what you're saying or vice versa, that you're not taking up extra time, like the idea of playing async video and doing 2X. And then mm -hmm. if you understand the idea that like you could force your workers to be in an office for nine hours a day or eight hours a day, and they might still only do three hours worth of work. Yeah, and also resent you. Exactly, so in, if you can addition. like, yeah. I don't know, digest all of that data and information and use it to your advantage, you should. And I think that's like kind of what Phil was saying in a much more eloquent way than I did. Yeah, and I think I really liked his concept of the pyramid that he brought in, which was the breakdown of how those things kind of like interact, right? And I think he's right about the distribution of it too, right? I think that would be the major point of contention that I think it, right now everyone's bought into the fact that all three will exist. Like there will be some amount of in-person connection there will be some amount of virtual interaction and there'll be some amount of asynchronous one-to-many type communication right like where it's not back and forth it's just passive consumption on the audience's part but the split is where people are going to differ i think his split makes the most sense for where we are now in the modern working world the other thing that i really really liked that i had never thought of was before was his statement about there being like a responsibility for the person presenting the information to also engage the audience, like essentially entertain them, which I don't think a lot of people would agree with that, especially in legacy environments. Cause it's like, no, what are you talking about? I pay these people to do the jobs that I want them to do. I don't have no responsibility to entertain them. I have a responsibility to present them with the information and then they have to go do the thing. Right. So I feel like that would be the most contentious statement he had, but it was the one that for me, <laughs> after thinking about it afterwards, I was like, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I don't think it's mandatory, obviously. I think you absolutely don't have to do that to run a business. But if you want the business to run well, then you have to do that. Yeah. That was my takeaway. But yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And I liked our conversation about VR. I mean, like, I've been the biggest VR naysayer in the world right. ever, maybe. But 
it's just recently I've been thinking more and more about it. And like, if it got good and we were all there, I don't know why I would choose this right here over right. like having this conversation with you. I don't know, like in a forest in front of a campfire or something. Right. Well, yeah, if it was a one-to-one with reality, it's pretty hard to make the argument that the other... No, it shouldn't be one-to-one. If your avatar would look really realistic, but also exactly what you wanted it to look like, not realistic in that like one-to-one with you, but like oh, not right. stupid, like, like, like really weird hand motions yeah. and gestures no, 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 and like, like the full range of expression, etc. Yeah. Yeah. But then whatever you but wanted. But Thor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, I would go for that. I mean, the thing is, if it gets to that, that if it gets to that, that's where you're in the real ethical question territory. We didn't get to that point with Phil, but I think he's right that it's like so far out that it's kind of like, it's hard to even conceive of that. If they achieve that, then it, that's a different story. We're in a different ballgame. Totally. Right? And most of the like sci-fi that he was talking about, like dystopian sci-fi, those products come about when the world and the earth has gotten even worse than it is now. So like there's desperate yeah. need to escape reality right. rather and we'll than, get there. Yeah. Yeah. We're on our way. We, we don't need to be don't in a hurry. Worry, don't worry. We will get there. <laughs> Just if you, if you take away one thing from our podcast, let's remember that the world is ending. we will ruin this earth uh-huh. and make it a hell. It's over. <laughs> it's already over. Uh. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I like Phil for his kind of like honesty and like, philosopher vibe that he brings to things without being too pretentious which is nice yeah i think so i mean he's very thoughtful i, I think that occasionally he has some portmanteaus that i would i don't want oh i love world, a good portmanteau like, fuseful is fuseful? a terrible one <laughs> i don't like that at all but to be fair he didn't come up with it he just adopted it wholeheartedly that's true which is yeah, different yeah. from coming up with it but i think a good portmanteau is a great thing yeah okay well that's where we're going to end it right now. So remember to take your coat. Is it? It's French, right? It's Monteau. Yeah, poor Monteau. Anyways, other people who are listening to this podcast know better than I am the origin of that word. So we'll leave it to you. You can tell us in a review that you leave on iTunes if you want. Can't wait to read those. Maybe we'll read it on air. But uh, do go rate and review. We really appreciate that. Helps us a lot. Helps get the word out there. And we just like hearing what people think about us, especially the the positive things, primarily. Either, though. Either, though. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Bye, Jordan. (laughs) Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch News Editor Daryl Etherington, and TechCrunch Managing Editor Jordan Crook. We are produced by Ashad Kulkarni and edited and produced by Maggie Stamets. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com slash found. You can also email us at bound at techcrunch.com, and you can call us at 510-936-1618 and leave us a voicemail. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.